Well, dear church family, we continue with our Bible study in the life of Joseph. We're now on our 17th study. Last time we thought about Jacob's wonderful reunion with his beloved son Joseph on that significant occasion after being separated for literally decades. Um, That wonderful reunion. We thought about how Joseph's brothers were presented to Pharaoh. Now with that changed heart and that changed pilgrim mindset which they had concerning the promised land. We thought about the powerful way in which Jacob gave that wonderful witness, did he not? And that spiritual inventory of the Lord's goodness to him over the years of his pilgrimage. And finally, we considered how Jacob and the covenant family were all settled in Goshen, in utter dependence upon Joseph for a time. And we learned how that this uh, really points to us, how we are only here for a time, and how we utterly depend upon the greater Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saves us, who has saved us, and the one who we, we depend upon to give us the bread of life, as it were, to sustain us. Well, in today's study in verses uh, 13 through 26 of Genesis 47, we firstly see Joseph's nationalising of Egypt. Nationalising, not a popular word. (laughs) Nationalising of Egypt and Pharaoh's prospering as a result thereof. So we see how Pharaoh has prospered as a result of Joseph and the nationalising of Egypt. We see in verses 27, secondly, after a very long time of sorrow and temptation and suffering and trials and afflictions for God's people, we see God's people being brought into a great season of joy and happiness and fruitfulness and blessing. There is a reward for the godly, isn't there? I believe that if we continue to walk by faith, there is a reward for the godly. And we see this here, a great blessing. All the sorrow and affliction and temptations and trials fade away and ushered in as a great season of joy and happiness and blessing and fruitfulness and rest. Well, and finally in verses 28 through to the end, we see Jacob's faith shining in its full luster, as it were, its full light, in the right at the dawning of his, his life as he desires to be buried in the promised land, in full faith of God's promises to him and to Isaac and to uh, Abraham. And so firstly we're told in verses 13 that there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. This famine, dear friends, was... Extraordinary, wasn't it? <clears throat> we sometimes have a picture of a famine from the media or on the radio. You know, a country goes through a season. We think of Ethiopia and such countries, and you see people starving. You see when the crops fail, and you have these images, and and it's terrible, isn't it? Well, this famine went on for seven years. Seven years it went on for. It was terrible. There was no bread in the land. The people became desperate, utterly desperate. And this international famine in particular 
in Egypt and Canaan began to bite, in particular in those two places. And remember, friends, who brought about this famine? This was God's famine, wasn't it? God brought the famine. God warned the people. He'd, the people knew that there'll be seven years of plenty and there'll be seven years of famine. They knew, didn't they? Uh, but God brought the famine. And friends, this reminds us, isn't there? If there's any comfort to be had here down below, it's that, that great doctrine of the sovereignty of God, that he is sovereign, isn't he, in all the storms of life. We're going through a famine, a spiritual famine in, in this, this land. But we must take comfort because it was, it was the meat by the means of the famine which God used to bring the whole covenanted family of Israel to Joseph, ultimately to be humbled and then to be converted and then for them, of course, to be looked after by Joseph. It was by means of famine. God's people, after much temptation and trials and suffering, are now flourishing in a famine, in a pagan land. God's famine brought great blessing. Where actually the years before that of plenty with rich Egypt and the fruitfulness of Canaan actually were very difficult years. But now in the midst of a famine, God's people are flourishing. But the same cannot be said with the, many of the idolatrous Egyptians. Within a very short space of time, they lose everything that they've ever labored for. We think of the wealth of that, that nation, Egypt. The superpower of the world at that time. Their wealth, their land, their cattle, and eventually even their supposed freedom. In a matter of a number of years, gone. Gone. And friends, surely this, in this do we not see the futility of a life spent in seeking worldly, earthly securities. Worldly pleasures, worldly riches. The futility of, of giving our hearts to that. When in a matter of, of a year, a few years, everything can be stripped, as it were. Even the wealthiest man in Egypt, the one that had everything, stripped to the bone, as it were. We think of that man in the, the New Testament that built all those barns. He had a great increase and he said to his soul, Soul, thou hast built up much goods for many years, take thine ease. But the Lord said to him, well, this night... Thy soul will be required of thee. And whose things shall those things be? And we are reminded, aren't we, of the futility of life. Our life is but a vapour. It's going to be over very, very quickly. But what are we setting our hearts on, friends? Well, <clears throat> we, we see that all the things in this life will soon be cut down. They will wither as with the flower. It will have its beauty and its glory and the wind will pass over it and it is no more. And then what will be left? Then what profit has a man of all his labour under the sun, wherewith he has laboured for? We know, do we not, friends, that all these things are vexation and vanity. Only that which is done for Christ, really, in the end, is going to last. We must uh, listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom well let us apply our hearts unto God's wisdom that heavenly wisdom in his word well in verse 14 we see Pharaoh's prospering as a direct result 
of Joseph's heavenly wisdom and instruction that he was given. Verse 14 says, And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Notice he didn't exploit the people. He didn't take the money and give it to his own family and to do that side of things. He specifically put it into the the exchequer or the crown, as it were, to Pharaoh. Remember the Lord's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. That was still in force. Pharaoh was being mightily blessed, wasn't he? Because he was helping God's cause, God's people. He was being blessed. And we know the reverse of that is true. Those who fight against God's will and his, course, his, his causes, like Saul, like Judas Iscariot, they will be cursed, won't they? Well, let us pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may live, where we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty as we are instructed to pray for in 1 Timothy 2 verse 2. Now, just on a, a quick side note, <clears throat> one really cannot help Admire Joseph's dutifulness here. It's a much despised word in our in our very spoiled culture that we live in. But really, one cannot one cannot help but just admire Joseph's dutifulness. He had every right, did he not, just to take off a couple of months, have a prolonged holiday, as it were, and just to have a reunion. He had he had been separated for decades from his family and so he had every right to do that but what do we see here straight back to dutifulness to work because there are there were there were souls perishing because of the famine now not saying that we 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 all need holidays we all need leisure times and day offs these things we need this rest it's, it's helpful but we must be found dutiful as Christians, so many Christians, and I can put my hands up. There have been times and t- the times in times gone past where uh, so many things can get us down. We can get so distracted, and we can, we can we can become a Christian that's almost like a maverick Christian, and we can we can uh, just as it were, go into the, the shadows. I don't want to get in, into the fight. I don't want to, the, the, I, might, I might have to lose something in this fight. And we can, all, we can all be like that, dear friends. But we must take heart here. There are souls perishing. We're in a spiritual famine nowadays. There are many, many people every day being ushered into eternity because they have not the bread of life. No one is there to speak to them of the bread of life. No one is there to give them the bread of life, to point them to the greater Joseph. There are countless souls around us. And uh, it is upon us to be found dutiful, to make every effort. We're not all called to preach, but we are all called to support and to pray and to make every effort. But when the Lord saves us, he saves us for a purpose. Every true believer is commissioned. We're commissioned where we are become living sacrifices. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him that has given us and loved us. We are commissioned. Our lives are in his, in his hands. And so we must, we must uh, 
uh, we must become serious over the grace, the spiritual grace of dutifulness. When we don't feel like coming to God's house, then duty must kick in. When we don't feel like praying, then faith and duty must kick in. Dutifulness, sometimes we don't feel like doing things, but by faith we must do them. We must be found dutiful and frame our lives around that which is good. Of course, this duty must be motivated by love. Love must be the motive. It's not fear of condemnation. We're the Lord's. We're in Christ's. We will be in glory with him. But we don't want to go into glory ashamed. We don't want to go into glory grieving. We want to go into glory and, as it were, like Stephen, uh, being welcomed into glory, as it were, thou good and faithful servant, um, serving the Lord, being dutiful in all that we, we do. It's a motivation by love. The one who gave up everything, the greater Joseph Christ, who, who came from the glorious courts and mansions of heaven, who spent eternity past in sweet communion, unbroken communion, and bliss and paradise with the Father, and gave it all up for us, suffered, underwent affliction and uh, the wrath of his own Father, and he did it all out of love for us. He gave everything for us, and we're called to do the same, aren't we? We're called to deny ourselves and take up our crosses every day and to be found faithful and dutiful. Soldiers, Christian soldiers, are dutiful, aren't they? Aren't they? We're called to endure hardness as Christian soldiers. Joseph knew this. He suffered more than most. Decades, decades of suffering. He didn't self-pity. There's pride and self-pity. He got on with it. And he, 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 he realized that souls were perishing. And he was found dutiful. Dutiful to love those who think that they're an abomination. You know, many people think that we're an abomination because of our pilgrimage, because of our way of life, because we walk by faith. And because we trust in God's word and not men's. And we are to hold on to this. I know it's a bit of a side note, yeah, and I'm, forgive me for the for going on, but I, I just, I think this is so important. Dutifulness is a much understand, an understated grace in our culture. We must not fall into that trap as Christians. We must be found dutiful, like Joseph. We could, we could all fail the Lord, uh, but let this uh, example of Joseph stir us up, really, to pray for dutifulness, Christian dutifulness, motivated by love. Now, friends, the money of the people had gone. The famine compelled them to give it all up for corn, that they may live and not die. Within the space of a year, Joseph literally had all the money. All the money had failed. Pharaoh owned it all. It all went into the coffers, as it were, Egyptian coffers, the crown. Even, like I said, the wealthiest Egyptian could not even buy what only God could give. And that was rain. They, they couldn't do that, could they? Only God could give rain. Even the wealthiest Egyptian was stripped of all. And friends, doesn't this remind us how we utterly need to depend 
upon our maker and our saviour for all. He's the one that gives us our rain and our sunshine. He is the father of lights. Well, in verse 15, we're told that the money failed. We're told that all the people came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. Because their money failed, Joseph suggested in verse 16 and 17 that they give their cattle in exchange for corn. And they do this, and Joseph feeds them all, feeds them all and their cattle, and their cattle have now been nationalised as well. So the cattle as, as well have been nationalised. They belong to the crown, and they would not die now. In verse 18 through 21, we're told that another year ends, and then the famine continues to persist. And again, the people of Egypt and Canaan are in great need again. They have no more money to exchange for corn. They have no more cattle to exchange for corn, so that they may eat bread and not die. And so they offer for Joseph to buy them as servants and their lands, to become willing bondservants and to buy their lands. You see, it's pointless. It's pointless if they die and they lose their, their, their cattle die, their lands are going to be repatriated anyway to Pharaoh. And so this is a desperate situation. And so Joseph buys them and their lands. They're gathered into cities. This, I believe, was a very wise mood, mood move by Joseph. Only the corrupt pagan clergy and priests keep the land, protected by law. Verse 22. Now that says a lot, doesn't it? Now, if the, 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 the corrupt clergy, the pagan, are protected by law, well, how much more so should we be supporting God's true ministers? Those who, is their livelihood as it were, those who are found faithful, how much more so should we have a heart for, for, for helping God's true ministers? And so in effect, the whole of Egypt has been nationalised. Pharaoh owns everything, the land, the cattle, the people, the servants, they become, the people become servants. They in effect become uh, tenant farmers. They become these tenant farmers where everything is provided for them. The seed is provided for them to sow, the, 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 the food for their cattle, the food for their, for their uh, corn, for, for bread, and all in exchange for 20% of their increase. So a 20% tax, basically. So they can still sow their lands, they can still use their cattle, but they were to give 20% of the increase, as it were, 20%. And we see this in verses 23 and 24. Now, friends, it must be said that some modern commentators and scholars criticise Joseph at this point, accusing him of being greedy and selfish and cruel and unjust, But such, again, is just baseless, baseless accusations, completely without understanding of the historical context in which they lived in, the times in which they lived in. The ancient world had no comprehension of the welfare system. They didn't have any welfare system back then. If you were able-bodied and you didn't work, you simply did not eat. 
We live in, a, in a, such a spoilt society nowadays where, where so many people just, just take for granted, well, I, just, I should just get these things. But back then, if you were able-bodied and you didn't work, you didn't eat. And friends, this spiritually is true, spiritually speaking, in the Lord's service. That's, I mean, I, I can put my hands up and say I've been guilty of this. Often our prayers can sometimes go unanswered because we're hiding something in the middle of our tent. We're not serving the Lord. We're not being fed with the bread of life because we're, we're not, we're, our faith is, is not moving us to serve the Lord. I'm not just talking about in church. I'm talking about in our prayer life, in our family life, in our private devotional life. To be to fully spent, be spent for the Lord. So this is true spiritually speaking, is it not? And, and, I, and I fear this is the case for many Christians. While their prayers go, and I, and I put my hands up, I've been there before. Our prayers can go unanswered because we're not serving the Lord. We're commissioned, aren't we? To become a servant at this time gave the people security. It gave them food security. It gave them stability. It gave them safety. Just to have food back then was a great blessing and a privilege. The people of that day were incredibly thankful to Joseph just just for food. He saved their lives. They would have died without him. They said in verse 25, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us, far from from being a cruel dictator, from being an exploiter, Far from that, he saved their lives. Let us find grace in thy sight, O my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. They willingly want more. <laughs> they want more of this. Whatever, whatever we think of this system, they wanted more of it. Because they saw Joseph as a kind and just, just man. A man after God's own heart, as it were. Someone that's not exploiting us, not using and abusing us. Someone, yes, you know, from our perspective, our culture will see it all. Oh, that's that's mean and that's cruel. But actually, it's actually very just and very fair. And they, they, the people, were blessed because of it. Joseph did not exploit them. He nor did he mistreat their position. He did not pocket the money and give it to his family or to himself, nor the cattle, nor the land. He gave it all to the king, to Pharaoh. He had the right balance. We must have a, a right perspective and balance between the king and the people, as it were. Without Joseph, they would have died and their cattle would have been, like I said, repatriated to the, to the crown. So the picture we see here is not one of a cruel African slave trader, which was wicked. It was wicked. It, it Rather, we see here a picture of an incredibly gracious Christian as, as it were, a believer, a, a, a gracious, kind, just Lord of the manor who has saved his people, has opened up his storehouses and has saved, his, saved the, the people of his town, as it were. And he continues to give good things to the people and to support the people. And the people trust him and love him. He, he is like the international hero here. He's the, the, the saviour with a small s. All he requires is 20% from the tenant farmers. He gives them everything. Food for their cattle, food for, the, for them. And he requires 20%, which, 
which by our standards nowadays is incredibly fair. 20%, if you think about it, by our standards is incredibly fair. We're taxed on literally everything nowadays, aren't we? National income, you're taxed. When you die, you're taxed. If you've got a few pennies left, the government wants to take a bit of that as well. You're taxed on your fuel. You're taxed on your food. <laughs> you know what? Soon, you know what you're going to be taxed on? You're going to be taxed on your air. To have clean air in the West Country if you live in a region. Oh, I'm just joking about that, but <laughs> I won't put a past there. We're going to be taxed to the hilt. But friends, Joseph, 20% tax. Oh, to, oh, to be under his government? Well, I would rather be under his government any day of the week. Wouldn't you? Um, 20% tax, dear friends, was bliss. And this, all in a famine. This was not in a... Imagine in the times of prosperity, when things, things got better. And like I said, whatever we think of this system, for those of that day, it brought food security, safety, and stability. Now, friends, one cannot help read this narrative without thinking upon the parable of the wicked tenant farmers in the Gospels. We saw with the tenant farmers in the Gospels, did we, do we not, that uh, they uh, were given this wonderful vineyard and this land and uh, they were given accommodation and even a tower for protection and all these things that were given them. And uh, they were given them by the Lord, by their master and king and he lived in a far off uh, uh, place and, um, and then the Lord sent, didn't he? Sent for the tax, as it were. Sent for the sent for his portion, as it were. And they 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 rejected the servants, didn't they? And it repeats, doesn't it? They kept on. They then killed the servants, and then he sent his son. If they will not listen, I'll send my my only son. And they sent the son, and they killed the son as well, didn't they? And of course, that was a picture of of uh, the Jews, what they did to to the saviour. But more deeply, it is a picture of us, if we're honest with ourselves, how we can treat the Lord. God gives us everything. He's the one that gives us, he's the father of lights. He has given us our lives, our souls. He has given us loved ones. He, he gives us food. He gives us our water. He gives us every, every good thing that we have from him, every loving thing that we have, every blessing of this life, it's from him. Do, do we give back to God the glory due to his name? Do we love him? Do we pray to him? Do, do we confess our need to him? This is what the people did to Joseph. It's a picture, isn't it? Do we do this, dear friends? Do we love him? The Lord God has given us everything. We live off him. He sustains our every breath. He is the father of lights. Do we love him as we ought to love him? Have we sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are we thankful? Like I said, do we confess our, our shortcomings and our absolute need for him? The people heard the warning, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. They didn't, they didn't do it. They didn't build up seven years, did they? They weren't living by faith. That's us. We, we cannot, we, we, we're all like this. We fall way short of the mark. But Christ did. Christ made that provision. He made that completeness, didn't he? At the cross, as it were. He's bought our freedom. Do we love him for it? You know, the Egyptians, like I said, heard of that warning. They made no provision. 
dear friends, but the Lord Jesus did. So Joseph became their their saviour with a small s. Are we trusting in the greater Joseph for all? Do we give him our time, our hearts, our minds? Do we love him with all the heart? That's with all your with all your desire, with all your affection, with all your mind. That is your understanding, your imagination. Does he have your imagination, your thought life? Well, like I said, we're all we're all guilty of this. We can all fall. But do we seek him with these things? Our hearts, our desires, our affections, our minds, our imaginations, our strength of our bodies, the the health he gives us. He gives us health for a reason. That's to use for him, to love him, to seek him. Are we doing it, friends? Do we, do we love him? Are we these living sacrifices, as it were? Well, dear friends, may the, the word speak to us this evening. And I, I trust that we, we, we here, because of God's grace, do love the Lord in this way. We're living off his bounty. We, we love him. We depend upon him. Well, dearly beloved of the Lord, we see next a great time of joy and happiness and fruitfulness for God's people who, against all the odds now, are flourishing amidst a famine. The devil's wicked designs for God's people have once again been thwarted. God's people are now more than conquerors through the greater Joseph. In verse 27, we're told that Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, that's in Egypt, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? Before, in the bountiful land of Canaan, the, the, the fertile land, just everything wrong was happening for them. But now, a, a pro- prolonged famine, the storms of life, everything seems to be going right for them. We just marvel at the Lord and his wisdom in this, don't we? If God's people can prosper in an international famine, dear friends, so can we. So can we in our society. No matter how wicked this world of Egypt will grow, God's people and God's kingdom, friends, will continue to grow and multiply exceedingly. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Seventy go down into Egypt and 400 years later, four million come out. Four million out of 70 come out. And yes, they multiplied exceedingly in Egypt. Yes, and even as slaves in Egypt, fulfilling all God's covenantal promises. And yes, God can make us fruitful here at Sovereign Grace. He can. Yes, the Lord can multiply us in a humanistic, feministic, pagan, materialistic, and even a tyrannical culture. He can, can't he? Do we believe in it? Iran is the, is the fastest growing Christian church in the world and it's one of the most persecuted places for Christians and yet they're multiplying exceedingly. They're growing, aren't they? We heard of our brother, Mr. Donaldson, speaking about Sri Lanka recently. They, they've got, undergone so much harshness. The, the, the no fuel and abject poverty and just everything that... that would be up against them but everything's going for them because they're multiplying there's a spiritual blessing being put upon them well later on in egypt there arose a new king says exodus 1 7 which knew not joseph and you know what 
that new king, that new pharaoh did? He persecuted them, didn't he? And he enslaved them. And you know what happened? You got it. They multiplied exceedingly. (laughs) They multiplied exceedingly. They grew, didn't they? So let us take heart, dear brethren, that the Lord God is bigger than our circumstances. Far bigger. Far bigger than our circumstances. Let us be found dutiful, faithful, utterly depending upon the greater Joseph Christ. Let us cry unto him. Finally, dearly beloved, in verses 28 through to the end, we see Jacob's faith shining. It's shining in its full brightness, as it were, as a a, a full moon in in a dark sky in his old age, in the dawning of his life. Seventeen years earlier, he thought he was on his deathbed when entering into Egypt, when we're being reunited with Joseph. Yet he's still, he's still alive. (laughs) Before that, he was on his deathbed. I just want to see Joseph, and then I'm going to (laughs) die, basically. Yet God, our God, the God of Israel, the living God, can give present strength in seeming weakness, can't he? Present strength in seeming weakness. In verse 29, we're told that the time drew nigh that Israel must die. See, the Holy Spirit puts the emphasis upon the must there. He must die. Not 17 years earlier. He's 147 years old now. His time has come. Our times are in our hands. You know, we can eat the best food in the world, can't we? Either we can have the fitness and health. All these things, are, to a degree, are necessary. But our times are in God's hands. He must die. Now, before Israel dies, notice again, it's talking about Israel, Israel, Israel now, not Jacob. It's talking about Israel because Israel is so full of faith here. He has power with God and with man. The man that was a prince and prevailed over the angel. Remember that. The Lord allowed him to win. And we see Israel here full of faith in the dawning of his years. There are few great acts of faith that yet need to be fulfilled by Israel. And one of which I'll just finish with in closing. The other will be in our next study. And so in verses 29 to the end, we see this great act of faith by Israel, by Jacob. It says in verse 29 through 31, And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. Verse 30, But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. That's Joseph. And verse 31, And he said, Swear unto me, And he swore unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Well, we see here uh, Joseph request, uh, Israel requesting from his son Joseph to swear by an oath here. And the, the way which they did it in those days in particular was to put their hand under their thigh. And what that represented 
was you're putting your hand under their authority, basically. That's when you, when you read that in the scriptures, that's what it means. They put their hand under authority. It means whatever you're swearing now, and if I swear to it, I swear by your authority, basically. That's what he was saying. That, that this, was my, this was a dying father's request, and that it's under his authority now to do. And notice here, friends, where Israel's heart and mind is in his dawning years. Notice where his heart He does not request a state funeral full of pomp and ceremony. He could have had that. But he, by faith, he wanted to be buried in the land of promise. He believed that the Lord would keep all his promises to him. He, he looked for a city, didn't he? The city of God, as it were. He looked for that heavenly Canaan. He wanted to be in that heavenly Canaan. He was so full of faith here at the end of his, of his days. His heart and his mind was, was on Christ, wasn't it? Was, was walking by faith here. He wanted, he wanted to be with the Lord here. He, want, he was living by faith. His heart and mind was set upon that covenantal promise, upon eternity. He believed that the Lord would keep all of his promises. Hebrews 11, again, 13 and 14, comes to mind. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Verse 14, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And we know what that country was. It was a heavenly country wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's that's. That's where they wanted to be. And notice, dear friends, who assured Israel, Jacob, and guaranteed Jacob, Israel, of his burial. It was Joseph, wasn't it? It was Joseph. And dear friends, this is not the same with us. It is Christ. It is Christ himself who assures the believer. The greater Joseph is the one who assures us of our home in heaven with him. He speaks to our heart, doesn't he? He assures us through his word and we believe him. He's the one that has suffered and is now exalted. He's the one that's now upon the throne. He is the one that has undergone all these things out of love for us. Do we believe in it? If we do believe in it, we're going to die a, 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 a death that's going to be peaceful. We're going to be at peace in death. We have nothing to fear in death. What a wonderful thing, isn't it? The assurance that Jacob has here. It's a picture of how we are assured in Christ, aren't we? And like Joseph and Israel, nothing can give us greater peace on our deathbed than the assurances Christ gives to us. And this is what Jacob had on his deathbed. He bowed his head, almost in a full release, as it were, ready to die, as, as it were, because he knew he knew that by faith God was answering his prayers. So Joseph said, well, I'm too busy. I could have said, I'm too busy now. That's a big thing to take your, your bones and to, to bury them in that parcel of land in Canaan, which, 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 are, which you've bought. That's a big thing. I've got lots of things. But no, this is important now. He, he, he knew that this was his dying father's wish, along with another one we'll, we'll, we'll think of next time. And friends, this is the same assurance that Christ gives us, doesn't he? The greater Joseph. He speaks to our heart. 
he, he, like we mentioned in our prayer meeting tonight, he calls those, his sheep, and we hear him. When, it, when God speaks to us through the scriptures, through, through the words of the Lord Jesus, through uh, the prophetic ministry, through the word, and we, we hear it, we believe in it. He, we hear his voice and we obey him. And we're his, aren't we? Same, same picture here, isn't it? But friends, we will, have, well, we will have that rest that we've longed for. We will have that rest and that, that peace that we've, we've longed for for so long. Don't, don't you long to be in glory? You long to, it, this, this world is so, it keeps on getting worse and sinners, but you just long to be with the Lord in glory. I don't, you long that you can come this evening. You just, we just want to be with him in glory. But friends, but now we must fight. We must fight the fight of faith. We must love and we must go to war. I like that hymn, isn't it? <laughs> we must fight and love. and um, That's what we must do. We must fight the good fight of faith. We must love and we must engage in the spiritual warfare. And for all this, we need more grace, don't we? We need to cry unto the greater Joseph. And so let us sing in that respect this evening in hymn 801. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. Hymn 801 to God's praise.